What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. The reason it's going to be different is because this is a rapid-fire Q&A, something I've never done before. Quite frankly, because I love to rant and I love to elaborate and go as deep as possible into every single question, um, which is good for you guys because it tries to it, it delivers as much value as possible in education. Honestly, it gives you the most detailed answer. Um, it just takes a lot more time, and I'm okay with that. But today, I actually only have 33 minutes as of right now, and this is only the intro which means that I have chosen 11 questions and I have to try to get those questions done in 33 minutes. Let's see if we can get it done. There's a lot of great questions and I'm going to go through them as fast as possible, delivering as much value as possible in the shortest amount of time that I've ever done. I don't even think I've ever recorded a 30-minute podcast. Like an hour is trying to squeeze it in for me because I love to talk. Um, But that's what today is going to be. It's going to be a rapid-fire Q&A and I think you're going to enjoy it. Before we get started, guys, I have a couple quick announcements. The first one is I just want to shout out everybody who has joined the Boom Boom Elite, my membership site, which if you don't know, is a membership site where I deliver exclusive content, exclusive interviews, presentations, monthly training programs, multiple options, cardio, conditioning, mobility, supplement guide, the nutrition hierarchy, a private Facebook forum where I go live every single week and I'm helping people out individually. I do a ton of stuff, guys, and I'm putting so much information into this site. It has become my baby, and um, I'm just really proud of it, to be honest with you, and I'm super excited to see how amped up and how consistent and how enthusiastic all these people, um, the members of the Boom Boom Bleed, have been, and they've been interacting, and it's just been such a cool experience, and I just have to shout them out, and I have to shout it out to you guys because I want to get people in there, and I want you to benefit from the amazing content that's going inside that. So if you want to learn more about the Boom Boom Elite, my membership site, you can click the link in the description where it takes you to a funnel where I will actually talk in a video video and break down every single aspect of the membership site, which I do have to say I filmed months ago and there's even more shit getting poured in there that I decided to add in that I didn't plan on before because I heard what people wanted and I just kept delivering more value based on that. So you can go to boomboomperformance.com slash elite um, or you can just click the link in the description and check that out. The second announcement, real quick guys, I always ask this favor and it helps me every time you do it. Please take a screenshot of this episode right now if you are enjoying it, if it helps you out, if you learn anything today and you like hearing me rant on this podcast, please do me a favor. Take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram story, post it on Instagram new feed, uh, post it on Facebook, post it on Snapchat, post it wherever. But if it's on Instagram or if it's on Facebook, please tag me so we can start a conversation and I can talk to you about what you want to see more of. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to the rapid fire Q&A. All right, this first question comes from my boy, Landon Poberin, um, which if you guys haven't checked it out yet, I was just on his podcast um, really recently and I actually put his podcast on my podcast. It's like Inception. There's a podcast in a podcast. But I had to share it on this one because it was such a great interview and I really had fun. Um, So go check that out, guys, if you haven't listened to the last episode this week on Tuesday. Um, So Landon asked, IF, I'm assuming intermittent fasting, on muscle development, if still hitting protein in four meals, just set back later in the day. So intermittent fasting on on comma on muscle development if still hitting protein in meals just set back later in the day. Um, I guess he's just asking what my opinion is. So my opinion on intermittent fasting on muscle development. Um, I don't care what anybody says. I think it's subpar. I just I, the truth is is like if I'm a believer in if you're gonna focus on building muscle, you should probably be eating more often and you should be eating more calories. Um, doesn't mean you can't implement intermittent fasting, but to be honest with you, I think intermittent fasting is overrated. I think it's a 
I think it's a stressor on the body. And if you're really pushing muscle growth, you're already eating, you're already training hard, you're already doing all these things that are eliciting stresses, I would probably cool it on the intermittent fasting because that's only another stress. Now, what I do find it useful, like an application that I find it useful for people trying to build muscle, um, really for anybody, but the only time I find it applicable to people who are trying to build muscle is when you implement intermittent fasting on a weekly or a monthly basis, and you do so for 20 to 36 hours. So these fasts are a lot longer. They're only one day. But you're going to get a lot more of the hormonal and health benefits from it. Um, I think a lot of people choose intermittent fasting when they want to diet. Um, the problem with that is it's really just another way to create a caloric deficit. Like if we just really look at things, the biggest benefit, and they've even done studies on this. The reason the the people lost more fat in the intermittent fasting group was literally because they had about 200 to 250 calories less each day. So the real benefit behind fat loss with intermittent fasting is actually just going to be um, the caloric deficit you can create. If you can adhere to a caloric deficit better with intermittent fasting, I think it's great. Um, when we talk about gut healing properties, when we talk about insulin sensitivity, when we talk about any testosterone or growth hormone benefits, um, when we talk about any blood work benefits, any any of these benefits that we hear, anti-aging, um, cell regeneration where your old cells are dying off and new cells are regenerating, all these benefits actually come from intermittent fasting when you pass like that 18 to 20 hour range. So even if you're doing like 14 to 16 hour fast every day, you're not going to get a, a ton of benefit from it. Um, so in my mind, if you're doing that and your sole goal is muscle, I think you are better off betting on the bro science of having a higher muscle protein synthesis rate throughout the day, eating four or five meals a day, um, spreading those evenly out. I think your digestion would be better. I think your carb tolerance uh, would be better. I think that your energy would be better. And I think all of those things would contribute to better sleep, better recovery, and better ener uh, energy in the gym. And those three things are going to play a bigger role in muscle development than anything else. So I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting if muscle development is the sole goal. Um, I am a fan of intermittent fasting no matter what your goal is. If it is on a weekly, bi-weekly, or a monthly basis and you're pushing that fast to at or above 20 hours in one sitting because that's when the real benefits start to kick in. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on that. Um, and even if like people argue about like, well, if you do the 16 hour fast a day, you get the benefits of insulin sensitivity, so on and so forth. Well, what they found with the insulin sensitivity is you can actually get the same exact benefits by just taking carbs out of your breakfast. So maybe you finish eating at 8 p.m. and you don't start breakfast till 8 AM. That's a 12 hour fast, not a 16. You're not going to get hormonal benefits, but that's going to give your gut a little bit of a break um, while still leaving enough hours in the day to improve energy, performance, digestion, carb tolerance, so on and so forth, sleep recovery. Um, and what that is also going to allow you to do is if you take the carbs out of your breakfast and you have like a high fat protein meal that is not very insulin, insulinogenic, and yes, Insulin is gets raised by protein. There's no way I'm going to get this done in 30 fucking minutes. I'm <laughs> just looking at the clock. I'm like, oh my God. Um, so like people will argue and say, yeah, well, protein causes an insulin spike too. Yes, it does. And there's been like graphs that people post on Instagram and it kind of pisses me off because it shows like protein powder, egg whites, tuna, and it's like showing that there's an insulin response. And I'm like, nowhere on this graph is there carbohydrates. Put white rice on there. It'll quadruple the insulogenic effect, I guarantee it. And because of that, you can see the contrast, you can see the difference. Protein does raise your insulin, but not significantly enough to cause any negative response. So I don't think that's a valid point for anybody to make. Um, so what I would say with this is like, if you really want to have the insulin sensitivity benefits from fasting, 
do 12 hours every night, take carbs out of your breakfast, keep your insulin low until lunch, you're going to hit 16 to 18 hours with without carbs every single day. Um, and you will still have that insulin effect. Now, you can also just get a glucometer, test your blood glucose levels, and you might not even need to do that. I know for me, it, because I've tested my blood glucose levels with no carbs in the morning, carbs in the morning, uh, four meals a day, five meals a day, so on and so forth. I have a lower carb or uh, blood glucose level when I eat carbs in the morning, which makes sense. My cortisol's higher, insulin's higher after being in a fasted state overnight. Um, I take carbs out of my next meal, and then I have carbs again for my pre-workout meal. So I eat five times a day, and my breakfast has carbs, second meal doesn't third meal does. I work out. My fourth meal has carbs um, post-workout. And then my final meal tonight is like a snack. It's like a high-protein snack. I don't have carbs in that meal. And that seems to keep my insulin, my blood glucose levels at the lowest possible rate. So you can play with these things and see where you're at. So um, that was a really long-winded answer. Um, it's going to screw up my timeline on this, Landon. That was the opposite of a rapid fire. So um, <laughs> you're welcome. All right. So the next question comes from Carmen Alessa. Every time I see your name, I think Carmen Electra. It's like the way it is read, it, it just sounds like that. Um, and she was big in the 90s when I was growing up. So what is your opinion on HRV and not only for recovery, but maybe also intolerances? I love HRV. I think HRV is very, very smart. Um, I think the problem with it is that people don't understand how to utilize it. And it can get you frustrated. So I remember when I first used HRV, I got pissed because it put me in the red light. So I actually beta tested Joel Jameson's HRV BioForce way back before it was really on the market and before a lot of people were using it. Um, at Vigor Ground, where I used to coach, we got to test it out on ourselves and on some of our clients. What I noticed is like a lot of clients were ending up in the red and it was screwing with my business because clients couldn't train with me because they were constantly in the red. So we were constantly deloading and they would get frustrated. What I learned is that it had nothing to do with our training and it had everything to do with their relationships, um, alcohol consumption, and stress. Those three things, stress from work, those three things, um, and lack of sleep actually, those four things caused a lot of stress and it caused the HRV to constantly say that we needed to deload. So my advice for anybody is if you're going to go down the HRV route, as you see this red light, don't get frustrated and stop training. Look at every other lifestyle factor in your life and try to adjust those things while keep training as hard as you want to train. The reason I say that is because we love to train hard. And if we remove that, it takes away part of our identity. It takes away part of what is getting us goals. But if we can optimize our sleep, we can optimize our stress, we can optimize our relationships, our work, all these things, and we slowly see that red go into just green and amber all the time because it basically gives you a green, a yellow, and a red light, whether your, your readiness is ready to go, it's like mild, take it a little bit easy, or it's red, like don't go hard, don't train, um, you can see that change over time. I also think HRV tools are great for monitoring aerobic capacity. So you can use the heart rate monitor and you can see where you're at and you can see your recoverability based on your endurance and aerobic training. I think it's great for that. Um, I like I like HRV. I think it's very, very smart. I don't think it's absolutely necessary for anybody who doesn't like the data and doesn't like the science and the geekiness. Because if I throw a tracker at you, my fitness pal, um, a weekly update form, I need you to track your weights in the gym and I say wear this heart rate monitor and track your HRV every day. You're gonna go. You're gonna go crazy. Um, it's just. It's not gonna. It, it's just too much stuff. Now, if you love the data, and you want to optimize where you're at, I think it's important. Um, or if you've suffered from any hormonal or cortisol or any stress-related or hormone-related issues. I think it can be great because it can open your eyes to what things in your life are stressing you out and what you need to shift in order to improve um, all those different things. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it. I 
I actually just ordered some new equipment to start doing my heart rate in the morning again. Um, so it's in the mail. So it's funny that you asked this because I'm going to get back into it, um, especially after this cut because I'm just starting to get worn out from, from dieting and getting leaner. Um, so after this, I'm shifting gears and I'm going 100%. I'm going to reverse diet, but I'm going to go 100% performance oriented. Um, I'm hiring a coach. Um, I'm not going to say who it is on this, but I'm actually excited because um, it's somebody who I'm actually good friends with and we're going to kind of partner up on something cool. So, um, but I'm going to be doing HRV, looking at recovery. I'm going to be doing two a days. Like I'm going really hard on the performance aspect and we're going to really try to push things a little bit, which is going to be fun. Um, in your second part of the question, you said, and not only for recovery, but maybe also intolerances. I've actually never seen any data on intolerances, so I can't really answer uh, very well on that, but I do think that would be interesting. And I think that would be helpful because HRV is going to give you your stress rating, uh, basically. Like it basically tells you you're either A, stressed, you're not stressed, or you're kind of stressed, right? And I think it would be interesting to see like, okay, nothing has changed. I'm still sleeping. I'm training averagely. Like I'm not going too hard. Like I had a moderately low intensity day yesterday, whatever, but I ate oatmeal and I kind of have a grain intolerance. And we see that HRV go off. So I haven't seen any data, but I think that would be very interesting. And if it does play a role, if it does allow you to see, because um, I don't know if there's much data on the central nervous system effect of food intolerances, but if it does show that, I think it would be extremely valuable information for a lot of people. All right. Next question is, uh, let's go with, um, I don't think I'm going to get through all these. I can just tell. I just talk too fucking much. Um, wanderlust underscore KDG. So KDEG. 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 I don't know. Uh, wanderlust KDEG. What is the difference between density and functional muscle? Um, this will be an easy one. So they are both four days a week splits. Um, they are both strength training focused. They are both functional muscle method. And what I mean by that is my method of training, like functional bodybuilding is a very popular thing. Um, I, I don't know how I feel with how a lot of people program functional bodybuilding because I think it gets taken out of context. A lot of people get out of the CrossFit world and create functional bodybuilding programs that really just look like crossfit with a little bit more control like they take out the barbell snatches and add dumbbell snatches and now they call it functional bodybuilding and i just don't think that's correct um i think functional bodybuilding is when you are literally doing strength-based bodybuilding and you are using functional movement patterns you are using kettlebells and dumbbells and functional equipment um it doesn't have a place like and and i and there is still the aspect of controlling things right i do think that um some crossfit modalities for example amraps I'm a big fan of AMRAPs, but I do believe that in, in my mind, in a functional bodybuilding setting, they shouldn't be AMRAPs. I use EDTs more because I think it, it it's a mind thing and it tells people to not go so hard. AMRAPs should be, yes, an EDT is still an AMRAP because it's as many reps as possible or rounds as possible, but it's a way to say like, okay, you're doing as many as you can, but with control, good form, proper technique, um, and controlling your pace. Like, so you're watching your breathing and you're seeing where your heart rate is at. Um, anyway. Both of these programs follow that same philosophy. The difference is functional muscle is a very good baseline builder. It's a very good program to say, here's my baseline of strength and I'm going to slowly progress on that. The progression scheme on the compound lifts, um, on the exercise selection throughout the program is very, very simple and easy to follow. Um, it's honestly one of the best programs, in my opinion, out there for a four-day split that you can buy an ebook. I think it's really good. And I've had a lot of people do other people's programs in the industry and privately message me and say how much better mine was. And that's not a shot at anybody, but it's very well designed. Like I, I'm really proud of Functional Muscle. And Functional Muscle 2 is going to be insane. Like it, it's so well, it's taken me a long time because it's 
so well designed like it's going to be crazy and that's going to launch this month so i'm excited about that what's well, supposed to launch this month we'll see um so uh, but the difference really is i would say density is more bodybuilding focus it's more power building focus right so what you'll see is like um, the first phase is like two phases. So it's like a four-week block, but it's broken into two phases. Um, and they're accumulation phases, which is basically like we're ramping up volume. Um, and you'll notice a lot more bodybuilding style tempos, bodybuilding style exercises, more pump work, very, very high rep stuff. Um, it's not really strength-oriented. It's very hypertrophy-focused, build muscle. Phase two is purely strength focus, and this is where the power building really comes in hand. We're really focused on um, progressing the compound lifts. All the accessory work is is dropping volume, going up in intensity, trying to get you to go heavier, and then the final phase is a test week. So on functional muscle, there is no test week. Um, density, there is a test week. Um, so you actually, there's two test weeks, but you can combine them into one as long as you recover well. But it's basically like one to two weeks of just testing your maxes, and then you would go right back to the accumulation phase, or you would switch programs. So I would say the, the main difference is that density is more of a, a cyclical program where it's like, okay, we're going to focus on high volume hypertrophy work, shift into uh, higher intensity strength work and then we're going to test your maxes and then repeat um, whereas functional muscle is very like strength hypertrophy it's like a concurrent method right so like throughout the whole process you're working on getting stronger in a hypertrophy focused manner and it's very functional so um, not a ton of difference because I program a certain way for all my programming but um, there is some differences Rose uh, Rosie Roar uh, one of my uh, clients um, Love Rose, she's a good girl. Um, on <laughs> on your cut, okay, so Rose asks, on your cut, have you still had room for your sweet potatoes with finger emoji, like the crossing fingers emoji? That's funny. Um, hell yes, there's no way I'm giving up my sweet potatoes. The downside is that before my cut, I would literally save like, so I reverse dieted myself up to like 400 grams of carbs and for my lifestyle and my training volume at the time, that's super fucking high because I wasn't doing CrossFit. I wasn't doing crazy amounts of volume. Um, I typically train 45 minutes to an hour a day. Um, nothing crazy, but I got up to like 400 grams of carbs. So I would literally, and I'm not exaggerating, my dinner would be 200 grams of carbs and it would strictly be a sweet potato. Like we would go to the store and find the biggest sweet potato we could find. Or we we order our groceries, really. Um, unless we go to Costco, we order our groceries online, then we go pick them up, and you can leave notes. And we would leave notes saying, please grab the biggest sweet potatoes you have, <laughs> like literally. So I miss that. Um, right now, my sweet potatoes are much smaller, but I still save myself you know, 65 to 70 grams of carbs at night to eat a big sweet potato. Um, I'm still like – the good thing is is – I still have quite a bit of carbs to play with. I go low, lower fat. Um, typically when I cut, um, I just run better on carbs. It's just what I crave. It's what I feel better on. So I have a pretty high protein diet right now. Um, I still have, I'm actually not counting any vegetables whatsoever, um, unless they're colorful vegetables because they have a little more fructose in it. So all green veggies, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, green beans, spinach, broccoli, all that shit. I'm literally not counting the macros in it. I'm just, they're just free for all. I can have one serving with every meal if I want, one to two servings. Um, that's not usually how I do it. That's how my coach right now want to do it. And I, and I obviously I abide by his ruling, but, um, for my carbs right now are at 145 on train days, which is pretty fucking low for me, but that still saves me some room because it's pure starch still saves me some room to, to eat a sweet potato at night for sure. It's just not as big. And I usually don't have a bunch of butter on it. All right. Next question. Samuel 
E Samuel E ninety three. I don't know. It's like Samuel and then Lee. Oh, Samuel Lee. There you go. There's no space or anything, so it confused me. Samuel Lee. Hey Cody, how do you like to schedule your ab training? I've read multiple different volume and frequency articles. So the the abs can train with a very high volume. So or I mean very high frequency. So it's better to do instead of I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't have an ab day. I think that's too much volume at one time. Your hip flexors are going to take over. Um, you could have some psoas issues. Um, it, you're just going to have pain and tightness in other places that are not your abs. Your abs aren't going to last that long, in my opinion. I like uh, frequency. So for me, right now, I'm actually training them daily because um, I'm trying to get them to pop for my photo shoot. So for me, it's like between sets or at the end of my workouts, I say daily, but sometimes I don't have the time to. But if I can, I try to add them in every day. Now, for most people who just want to develop their abs better, I would suggest one of two options. Either A, you're hitting them indirectly every single day and directly every other day, meaning um, today I might not be hitting my abs, but I'm going to do a double kettlebell front squat instead of a different variation of a quad dominant movement. A double heavy double kettlebell front squat is going to indirectly hit your abs quite a bit actually, you're going to feel it quite a bit, or you're going to do a zercher squat, or you're going to do an offset step up where the kettlebell is leaning you to one side, single arm farmer's walk. So these are leg or upper body exercises that are causing you to still activate your abs. I think you should do those almost every day. Then you hit your abs every other day directly. So you can do, I, I like best doing like three to four rounds of a superset, some kind of flexion based exercise, and then something else paired with it. So some kind of sit up, basically a weighted sit up, a time loaded sit up where you're just going very slow, finding that mind muscle connection, and you're supersetting that with a long lever plank, uh, a hanging knee raises, reverse crunch, um, something like that, L sit, things like that. They're going to quote unquote, hit your lower abs, um, which is debatable. Um, but basically something of that nature where you're doing a superset. I think you can do that every other day. Um, I think that's probably going to be your best bet. Um, and you can train them every day if you want. I think the best approach with abs is definitely frequency and mind muscle connection. Claire, uh, Claire Nutrition, one of my mentor clients, um, from Instagram says, when do you decide to go with a reverse diet versus restructure macros and go in a deficit and go in deficit? Um, so I think this is worded kind of weird. The way I'm going to approach this is when do I decide to reverse diet, go into a deficit or restructure macros. So when I decide to go into a reverse diet is when biofeedback is looking pretty bad. If somebody's history shows me that they've been chronically dieting for a long time, um, then I would suggest they reverse diet with me. Like we're going to spend some time bringing your metabolism up. We're going to spend some time bringing um, your your hormones in general up. We're going to spend some time bringing your calories up, so on and so forth, because your history shows that you need it. Your biofeedback tells me you need it. You're stressing more. You have cravings. Your, your performance sucks. We are going to reverse diet. So that's a pretty easy one. When I decide to re restructure macros versus go into a deficit, basically, if, if somebody comes to me, there's pretty much one scenario, two scenarios. Number one is somebody comes to me and they are already at or below where I would calculate their calories to be to be in a safe, healthy deficit. Meaning, if I calculate your calories and I believe that you should be dieting on 2,000 calories um, and you should be successfully, if, if all things were perfect in an ideal world, you would be losing weight and body fat at 2,000 calories. If I see that you are eating 1,800 when you come to me and you're not losing weight, that's kind of a red flag. 
But what I will do is I will restructure your macros at that point. So if you come to me and your protein is super low and it's all carbs and fat, that's an easy one. I might even add 200 calories, but I'm going to crank proteins up and I'm going to balance macros out, uh, carbs and fats out. That alone is going to show you some results because you weren't getting enough protein, which we know is going to aid in fat loss, aid in muscle recovery, so on and so forth. Keep you satiated. Um, the other scenario, if I believe that somebody is consuming – like their calories are good, their protein is good, but they're consuming – too high fat and too low carb where I think their performance is suffering, um, their recovery is suffering because carbs play a major role in recovery. Carbs also play a major role in thyroid health and metabolism health and a lot of people always look towards fats for hormones but sometimes people overdo that ratio. So a lot of times what I'll do is go, okay, we're going to flip the script and we're going to crank carbs up. We're going to drop fats down and we're going to see how you feel on this, keeping the calories the same and a lot of times they actually see better results because they recover better, um, their macros are more balanced out, they're going to be training harder. Um, carbs are more likely to be used as fuel than they are to be stored as fat. And fat is more likely to be stored as fat than carbs are. Um, science has proven this. It doesn't mean fat makes you fat. It just means that if you're overdoing fat and underdoing carbs, it's a recipe for gaining fat and not losing weight. So that's kind of when I, the only time I restructure macros is when somebody comes to me and they're eating too little protein or I feel like they're eating too high fat, too low carb. Um, and if they're in a position where they're eating a, a healthy amount of calories, their macros don't look all crazy, then I always feel safe going into a deficit. Um, as long as they're not eating like eight times their body weight and calories and they're just super low, I, I feel fine doing it. Zero zero truck zero zero. I work out. Okay, hold on. I work out fasted in the morning. After that, I have to walk my dog. When to eat? Um, number one, if you work out fasted, when to eat your pre-workout meal would be the night before. Make sure the night before you're eating a very very good um, protein, carb, low fat. Uh, dinner that's going to sit overnight. I know, but it's also going to store glycogen. It's going to fuel your performance in the morning. Um, it depends on your goal. Like if you have a good amount of fat to lose, I don't think there's anything wrong with working out, walking your dog immediately afterwards and coming back to it. Um, in fact, if your goal is to build muscle, maybe you're drinking some uh, EAA, some essential amino acids during that training session and you still do that. I wouldn't even worry about it. Um, the only time I would say, eh, you should probably eat after your workout before you go walk your dog is basically if you're a hard gainer, you're, you're not big and you're really looking to build muscle, first of all, I wouldn't recommend and you train fasted. I would say wake up, have a shake before you train, and then go train. Um, the other scenario would be if you walk your dog for like two hours or even an hour, that's a long walk, right? So if you're walking your dog for 20 minutes, 30 at max, I would be like, yo, that's just post-workout cardio. It's not going to kill you. Um, maybe drink a shake while you do it and then go have your meal an hour or two later. That's no problem at all. Um, but I think it's kind of splitting hairs. If your daily intake is good, if your meal the night before is good, you're totally fine. Uh, Carmen Alessa has another good question. How to increase metabolic flexibility? So there's a few ways you can do this. Um, number one is going to be periodizing your nutrition. Um, looking at your diet and going, okay, how can I make this relate to um, my lifestyle? Like when, when you're quote unquote in season, when you're training hard, let's say for the next 12 weeks, like, so for example, I'm going to reverse diet after this photo shoot. I'm going to bring fats up a little bit, but I'm really just going to ramp carbs up because I'm going to go into a quote unquote in season of performance. Like I'm going to take a good week or two to deload after this photo shoot. And then I'm going to go into a performance phase where every, everything we're doing is geared towards getting me stronger. Um, my aerobic capacity increasing, increasing my speed, like my performance abilities need to increase and I'm going to need carbs for that. So that might be a 12 to 16 week period. 
Um, then I'm going on a vacation. So during that vacation, I look at, okay, this is going to be a deload. So during this deload, I'm probably going to drop carbs quite a bit. I'm going to crank fats up and I'm going to use that as like an insulin resensitization phase, a hormonal regeneration phase because I've been training super hard. I've been did a photo shoot. My hormones might be taking a hit. So for the next one to four weeks, which I'm not going on a vacation for four weeks, but for the next four, one to four weeks, I might actually go into a low-carb, high-fat phase, and I might actually drop my training intensity down a little bit. Do a little bodybuilding, do a little low-intensity cardio, not go crazy with it, and just focus on cranking my fats up for the hormonal benefit and for the benefit of becoming a little bit more fat adaptive um, and letting my body get used to using fat as fuel as well. Um, so it really comes down to periodizing your nutrition, right? What are you doing right now? What is the fuel you need? Um, there's There should be periods of time throughout your year where you can flip the script. If you're goal is to increase metabolic flexibility. The truth is, is you don't have to do this in, in order to cr- increase that. Or it's not to say like, I, I want people to know like metabolic flexibility isn't a sign of health necessarily. It's a good thing to have on your side, but you don't need to chase this if your goal is health or fat loss. So unless that is your goal, like I really desire to be metabolically flexible. I don't think it's absolutely crucial. Now, if you've been at a plateau for a long time and you can't get rid of the last little bit of fat, that might be a good idea because if you can flip the script and you can become more fat adaptive, your body might start using that stored fat as fuel. Um, There is merit to that, right? Um, That's why the keto diet does work in some scenarios. So it kind of depends on the time of year. I think if you're, you're in a season of year where your hormones have taken a hit or need some help just being balanced out or increased, um, if you're in a time where your performance is decreasing, you can use that as a time to increase metabolic flexibility by lowering carbs, raising fats up, and then when you ramp up training, you bring up carbs and lower fats. You can do it on a smaller scale, like let's say you train four days a week and maybe your job doesn't let you train two days in a row, so you have like four days in a row and then three days of like low intensity, if not rest. You could do high carb for four days, um, low low carb for three days. You can even do carb cycling and increase metabolic flexibility just by having like high day, low day, high day, low day, back and forth throughout the week. That will help. Um, And lastly, you can train fasted. Like I don't think high intensity interval stuff, like I don't think high intensity cardio or high intensity like weightlifting. I don't think that's smart fasted. But if you're doing low intensity cardio in a completely fasted state, um, possibly using some kind of supplementation that's going to help you become more fat adaptive, the truth of the matter is your body is more likely to use fat as fuel during that fasted cardio. Now, what people need to remember and studies have proven this is you're not going to get more caloric expenditure. So if I do a cardio session fasted versus a cardio session fed, I'm going to burn the same amount of calories and it's total caloric expenditure. My total fat loss results probably will be the same. But if you do all your cardio, your low intensity cardio fasted, your body might actually get more accumulated, acclimated to burning fat for fuel increasing your metabolic flexibility, which down the line might actually help you strip unwanted body fat. So I think there is merit to doing that too. Um, Let me try to get through one more question. Um, Because I'm not going to get all these. All right. We are going to go with, um, here's a good one. Francesca Marie Gonzalez asked, metabolism of fructose versus glucose. So fructose is sugar, you know, like found in fruit and stuff like that. Glucose is uh, starchy like carbs, bread, potatoes, stuff like that. It turns into 
like the the reason I chose this question last is because I I think it's an easier question than people make it out to be. There's nothing crazy about it. Glucose more easily turns into glycogen um, that is stored in the muscle cell that can be used as fuel. Fructose is more likely stored as glucose inside, or sorry, fructose or glycogen, whatever you want to call it, stored inside the liver. That's the big key here. So when I consume a lot of uh, fructose, what actually happens is it goes to my liver, right? So um, the thing with that, um, it's not going to benefit your performance that much. Now, if you leave your – so every night that we go to bed through oxygen and through sleep um, – I learned this from Christopher Bearcats, very, very smart dude who was on my show. So go listen to that episode if you haven't. Um, we expend uh, – I believe it's like 50% of our liver glycogen, which means that the fructose that we ate that gets stored in our glycogen as fuel for our liver gets removed every single night. Now – what this means is that we do need to consume some kind of fructose, which I recommend everybody have one or two servings of fruit per day. Um, if fat loss is your goal, you can keep it at one. You don't really need more than that. Um, but that fructose is going to supply the fuel we need for our liver, and there's a lot of processes we need that fuel in our liver for, um, from nervous system to detoxification. I mean, the, the list goes on for health. We need our liver functioning well. So, um, Fructose is going to get more metabolized in the liver and used in the liver where glucose is going to go through. I mean, depending on your insulin sensitivity, there's going to be a process of shuttling it into the muscle cell stored as glycogen that can be used as fuel in your workouts um, and to recover, rebuild muscle tissue in the next 24 to 36 hours. Basically, like I talked about earlier on another question, when I eat carbs tonight, it is fueling my performance in the morning. So the difference is very small. It's just basically they're getting shuttled to a different place. Um, and then obviously absorption rates is a little bit different, right? There's a different process and a different speed at which fructose gets absorbed and delivered into your liver compared to uh, when glucose gets converted to glycogen in the muscle cell and then um, it can be used as fuel. All right, guys, that is all I got for you today. That was pretty good, actually. I didn't get through all the questions, but I got through most of them, and I think I hit the best questions that were asked to deliver some value in a matter of 35 minutes or less. Guys, I appreciate you listening to me, and I will catch you next time. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's gonna teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book. Not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and that is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. 
Oh yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.